Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today's guest is Claudia Martinez, the pastry chef at Miller Union. Hi, Claudia. Thank you for being here. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Could you please introduce yourself and use as much detail as possible to listeners who may not know who you are? Yes, my name is Claudia Martinez. I'm the executive pastry chef at Miller Union in Atlanta, Georgia. And you also um, have a pop-up, Cafe Claudia? Yeah, I have a pop-up called Cafe Claudia that I do at least once a month. And I um, work with other chefs or help raise money for certain organizations as I can. So it's more based off um, bakery items, whereas at my current job, I do more plated desserts. So like... You know, I have to imagine as a pastry chef, you're a very visual artistic person. When you close your eyes and you think about like that first food memory, like the first dish or item that you can remember, what is that? I think the first dish for me would be um, cinnamon rolls. They're just something so nostalgic to me. It was one of the first books I had when I was uh, a lot younger and it was Emerald Lagasse's cookbook for kids. And it was a recipe that I felt like was pretty advanced for um, children in that cookbook, but it was a lot of fun. And I would always mess up the milk part of it and heating it up and messing up my yeast. So it was kind of um, a learning experience. But once I actually got it down that one time, I, I loved eating them. And it was just a great memory for me. And like, was there someone in your life that stoked your curiosity for food? I think my whole family kind of did. Both of my parents cooked a lot. They cooked kind of differently. My mom cooks out of, um, she had a subscription, a cooking light magazine. So she owns all 500 of them. So she always cooked out of that at least once a week. They're um, actually really good recipes, cooking light. Yeah. <laughs> I like the recipes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she owns like all of them still to stay. Um, and she always cooked and tried new things. And my dad was a little bit opposite. He wouldn't follow recipes, but he would just cook off, you know, whatever's in the kitchen, trying not to have too much food waste. And his mom, which is my grandmother, she uh made wedding cakes and she cooked a lot. So I feel like I just grew up around um, a bunch of people that loved cooking and food. And we traveled a lot when I was little. And um, so I got to experience a lot of fun foods when I was little and go to Spain and Italy and France. And I didn't grow up eating, um, you know, only off the kids menu. I would say that my parents were really good about having me try different foods. That's so important. I'm like that with my kid too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Appetizers just as much as the kids menu and probably a lot more interesting and the right portion for them. But, um, so when did you like, well, actually with your family, like you're saying that you all were so into food, was it a connector? Was it like a love language in your family? Is it still? I, yeah, I would say it's a love language and it's almost that my parents worked a lot and they had different schedules and, um, it was kind of that one time where we actually had time to sit down and have a conversation. And it was a moment where we could all, you know, sit down and catch up and have fun. And it, it's always around food for me. 
And I think that's where you create some of the best memories and you have the best conversations with people is around like really good food and drinks and having that time to actually get everybody to stop what they're doing and stop stressing and have that meal. And I think that's something that a lot of people are not doing as much where they take a pause instead of, you know, eating in front of the TV or eating in your car on your way to work is like taking the moment to actually sit down and appreciate what you're eating and who you're eating with and creating these conversations. So I think that's something we were, my parents were pretty strict about as far as not going and watching um, TV while we're eating and just sitting down and having conversations and, you know, spending quality time together. Um, and, and like, when did you know that food was no longer just something, you know, for pleasure and it was a career that you wanted to go into? Um, I think there was this one point where I I was trying to learn how to cook, like with my family that I made my parents sit down and I wrote out a menu. I was like nine. I don't know. <laughs> really young. And I wrote out this menu and I made him sit down and I was like pretending to play restaurant, like, you know, just order off this menu. Like I'm going to cook it. But out of the 10 items, I only had two of them. I was just hoping that they wouldn't order it. <laughs> Every time they would order it, I was like, okay, I don't have that order something else. Like just go with, just order that. This is the recommendation of the chef. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember like doing that and wanting the easy bake oven and just being obsessed with that whole part of food. And I just loved eating and everything about it. Um, with pastry, I would say like I loved food more and then pastry became more like a love towards the end. Um, mm -hmm. But in high school, you know, that's when you're starting to figure out what it is that you wanted to do. And I was in between being a social worker or, you know, going into the industry, being a chef or restaurant owner. So I think I made that decision like junior year, I would say. And you went to Johnson and Wales, yes. right? So, I mean, which is like a great culinary school. So, I mean, you were, you were pretty focused. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's, I wish that people would have the conversation with, you know, people that want to be chefs about the best route. And I didn't know a lot. So in my head, I thought, oh, I have to get a business degree and then I have to go to culinary school. Mm -hmm. So I almost was trying to apply to, you know, do a bachelor's in business and go to culinary school. But that's more if, you know, that's something you want to do opposite. If you had to figure out if you want to be a chef or a restaurant owner or a manager. And I feel like I didn't learn all the steps. So I kind of wish I would have learned that, but I'm glad I didn't like do the bachelor's thing first. I did. I went, <laughs> I got a bachelor's in business from Emory from Guizueta. And then I went to culinary school after oh, in California. <laughs> But that's better. I know, but I do wish, I think like if we're talking about paths, I do wish that I had worked in restaurants before I went to culinary school. Yes. I feel like that was a better, that, I mean, Johnson and Wales is a lot better than the Cordon Bleu program I went to at California Culinary Academy in San Francisco, you know, <laughs> it's a little more prestigious. But speaking of prestigious, you've held like some of the most prestigious pastry jobs in Atlanta. Um, did you grow up here, by the way? Yeah, I grew up here. You did. I okay. was I was born in Denver, but we um, didn't stay long. So I 
went to elementary school here, middle, high school. So I just consider Georgia my home. Where'd you grow up in Georgia? Uh, elementary school, I was in Canton. And then middle school, high school, I was in Decatur. Nice. So nice. Quick change. <laughs> and I mean, so I mean, you worked at like, I mean, literally listeners, I mean, if you are not from Atlanta, these are some of the best restaurants in Atlanta. Atlas Restaurant at St. Regis, Tiny Lou's, which was, you know, the renovated Claremont Restaurant Eugene, Umi, which is probably one of my favorite Japanese restaurants in Atlanta. I mean, you have you have worked at them all. Um, <laughs> and you're only held <laughs> 28. Yeah, and you're still in your 20s. So um, let's talk about your career. Um, in Atlanta and as a pastry chef. What has that been like? I mean, when you look at the restaurants, they're all high-end. So you are very much a plated high-end pastry chef, no? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I After going to school and realizing, you know, which side I wanted to do, I applied to intern at Restaurant Eugene and I got accepted and I moved back. And I just loved everything fine dining. I was obsessed with like, the dance, the service, how, you know, we're taking food and we're playing with it. We're making it fun. And I I just loved everything about it. I loved going out to eat to nice restaurants. I think it's something that is expensive. Um, but for me, I, I didn't spend money on like shopping or clothes or name brand things. I always had simple stuff at the house. I would say where, you know, my splurging would be like eating and and traveling. Those are two things that I really love. So uh, working there, I fell in love with it. I loved everything about it. Um, So I was at Eugene for a few years. And then I actually was being put on um, the pastry station a lot. So I kind of worked every position at that restaurant, I would say. I served, I ran food, I was expo, line cook, grill cook. I I did the whole thing. Wow. (laughs) So that's a demanding kitchen. I actually staged there and it was not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because towards the end, it ended up not being for me. I think because it was my first real restaurant job that I didn't really know what what is okay and not okay to tolerate as um, somebody so young and a woman. And I, I feel like I tolerated some things that are not okay right now. And I'm glad that I'm at the space now where, you know, I can let young cooks know like, Hey, this isn't okay. You can't treat people like this. So I would say it was like a really tough kitchen. And towards the end, I did become unhappy and realize that I wanted to figure out why I stopped loving food, like Mm. as far as working and being in that restaurant and and not just that restaurant, just restaurants in general. Like I felt um, it's tough being a line cook and working those hours and not making a lot of money and being on your own. It's a difficult, it's a lot on your mental health. And you're executing somebody else's vision. So the creativity really isn't there either, which you, which you think when you're starting Yes. is part of it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's more like you're just going, you're doing the same thing every day. You're just plating, you're just cutting. It, it's, it becomes like not very fun when you're doing something like that. And our clientele was very, um, it was a very tough clientele. So I remember a few times I would run food and just hear people say really 
you know, terrible things like, oh, order order another chicken. Um, we can afford to, you know, get that. You don't eat off the bone. Like, we're too good for that. Like, just comments like that or um, guests being afraid to give me their credit card because they thought I would, you know, steal their money. So they would hand it to the guy next to my partner who was serving the table with me and be like, make sure she doesn't touch this card. Like, you <laughs> run this transaction. So I, I felt degraded a few times by, you know, some of the clientele was just, it was too much at one point. Yeah, no, I see. So I, I decided I asked, um, they offered me the pastry chef job, but I mean, I had only been plating for them for a few and learning under the pastry chef a few um, months. So I, I felt like it was putting me in a role to set me up for failure. It was just kind of like a quick bandaid because we didn't have anyone. Mm. So um, I ended up leaving and I applied to Atlas and I met Christian and his, the way his pastry menu was written out was very tropical forward, Latin forward, um, playing with cool exotic ingredients. It was beautiful. It was well thought out. And I knew that I wanted to work for him next after that. That's, I mean, I loved that restaurant, um, yes. especially when right when it opened with that open kitchen. I think I remember seeing you there um, and being like, oh, finally, there's a woman um, in Atlanta restaurants. <laughs> so, I mean, so you then went on to Atlas and, and it was a different experience, I have to imagine. Yes. Um, I secured the job with Atlas, but I let Christian know that I got accepted to, well, not accepted, but I had reached out to a pastry chef in um, Sweden and I asked if I could come there for a month and just work for free. And he said, yes. So I went there and I think I did it because when I travel, I feel like my creativity is a little bit more um, out there. I feel more passionate. I get to learn more. It's kind of like a culture shock. Mm. So I thought, since I'm so confused on what it is that I want to do, do I want to work front of house, back of house? Do I want to be a line cook, pastry? You know, there's so many jobs. Food writer. I thought about being a food writer, but I'm not very good at writing. <laughs> uh, or a critic. I even thought about that. Um, but I decided to do that for a month and just I basically just disappeared and worked, Smart, under, worked under him um but it was a good experience he actually made me like pastry a lot because he was a colon uh savory trained he's a sous chef but he's not traditionally pastry trained so he's not measuring he's not doing cups or you know doing everything detail he's like oh it's okay if it's like a little over like it, it made it more approach approachable whereas in school i feel like they make pastry like very nerve-wracking they do it's like if you're not if you like are like an ounce off or grandma rather you know you're yeah. done you know? <laughs> they make it not fun <laughs> no no that's why i i when i went to culinary school i actually took the hospitality management track you know um, so you did a little bit of everything but then it was more management based because i i remember them giving us a speech and they're like or you could be a food writer or a critic and i was like oh I didn't know that was a thing that I could do here. So yeah, I went on that path and here I am today. But, but um, so then your pastry career really started to take root um, after this time in Sweden now and, and being at Atlas. Um, and I think that's when you really started to get 
like a lot of notoriety in Atlanta. And, and next, was it Umi or Tiny Lou? Um, I worked at Umi while I was at Atlas. I, okay. I had always had two jobs somehow. <laughs> but, <laughs> just to try to stay afloat. Um, but I, I was at Atlas and I think Atlas was the last place I, I learned the most from Christian. And he really was somebody who took me under his wing and taught me I, I would say he was more technical, like technique, like, um, and taking my time to do plated desserts and work the station and not being thrown in other positions. Like I was actually just pastry with him. Um, and then Umi, I would do, uh, mornings and then a few nights, but I, I worked at both at the same time. So, but it was at tiny Lou's that you really like ascended in terms of your star. Um, and it was interesting because like, I felt like for a long time, with the exception, the exception of Miller Yum, actually, like, cause I just always loved their desserts cause I'm a big fruit forward dessert person. And that was always something that was happening there. Was it Pamela Moxley that was there before? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, but I remember at the time there weren't a lot of pastry chefs with a very strong point of view in Atlanta. And when you came onto the scene at Tiny Lou's, like it was like a very like strong pastry point of view. Um, yeah, I find it interesting because you seem so subdued. <laughs> like your food is like so your your desserts are so intense, which you know, I'm more of a cheese plate person, you know. So like for me to want to order a dessert, which I always order when they're yours, um, they have to be special. What do you think makes you different? Um, I feel like it's everyone I've been around or has taken me under their wing. I, I never liked desserts when I was in school. And when I was younger, like I, even at buffets as a kid, I would never hit like the brownies and all that. I would always just eat all this savory stuff. I, I loved it. And I think what I didn't like about it was that it all kind of tasted the same and it was all very heavy and, and a lot of sugar. And with Tiny Lou's, it was very unexpected that I got that job because I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of experience. Um, but I, I was grateful that I got that opportunity to do something so big. So I felt like when I got that opportunity, I knew. And a few weeks before, I actually got um, declined from a pastry chef job in Atlanta. And that kind of like, and one of the comments was, you know, like I, I was kind of doing too much or was like too, well, in, to defend, I would say like I, I was doing too much for that type of style of restaurant. Right. Whereas Tiny Lou's was a little bit more fun. It's above a strip club. It has history. Um, the decoration is like fun out there. So I, I felt like my style of desserts fit that building. And I think what makes me stand out is that I'm not afraid to, you know, do something that's a little bit out there or play with ingredients or, you know, bring fruits that aren't local all the time, but they do pay homage to, you know, my roots and my family's roots. And I like to do desserts that are light at the end of your meal. And I think I try to do desserts that I would eat. And a lot of the times people will make dessert menus that are so heavy and have so much sugar that by the time you get dessert, you're, you just want to go home and take a nap. And we already messed up your 
you know, food experience that the dessert should be kind of like wrapping it all together. I, I need to compliment whatever chef I'm working for and whatever food he's making so that or her or she's making so that it's not completely just making you feel like you just ate a bunch of chocolate. Right. Right before you go to bed after like steak and wine yeah. and fries. <laughs> um, so like I saw you mention in an interview with Leah Picard and on resi.com that opening Tiny Leaves was like a super stressful time for you. Um, can you talk about why it was so stressful? I, I think it was because it was my first big job. It was my first pastry chef job. And I got offered that with not having a lot of experience, but you know, these people took a chance on me and I am young. I am Latin. I'm a female doing this really large pastry program. And I knew that I had a lot of eyes on me and, you know, they would, it, it was a very large company. So they would always tell us like, we have these critics coming in, um, you know, that you have to hit the floor running. That That's what they would always tell me. Because as soon as you open a restaurant, you have about two months to really nail it or you'll, you'll get eaten alive if people don't like it. I think Atlanta clientele, they know what they want. And if they don't like it, they're, they're going to let you know. <laughs> and then with, you know, TikTok reviews and Instagram reviews and Yelp and everything, it makes it even crazier. You know, just kind of talking about being, you know, I mean, you were young and it was your first big gig. But I mean, you rose to the occasion, right? And you were successful. So that had to be like a self-esteem builder in a way. Yeah, I. It, it was a lot mentally. I didn't, I've never opened a restaurant in that capacity. And I got to learn a lot about everything that goes into it. Not only was it a restaurant, it was also a hotel. So having to make sure that all those parts are put together. And it was one of the first, I would say, hotels that actually had a good restaurant inside and I think that's something Atlanta lacks a lot of times are mm -hmm. restaurants that are actually chef forward in hotels and they're not just like corporate restaurants or just buying everything um so it was it was a challenging experience and you know we stayed on property living there for a few months during opening because I mean we were oh, wow <laughs> so I felt like that part was a lot on all the chefs like we you know, you couldn't really escape work because you were there. But if you're working 7 a.m. to midnight or 2 a.m., like, you, you don't want to go home. You just want to go upstairs, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's like a hamster wheel, I have to imagine. But I'm sure you absorbed plenty of material just being there because the Claremont is such a storied hotel. I mean, yeah. it, it, even those hotel rooms are just, like, kind of funky and very unique for Atlanta. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. But I mean, talking about mental health and the industry, I mean, as you mentioned, like a lot of things that were okay when you were starting out and I was starting out in the industry are no longer okay. And something I think I follow or something I think I struggle with as someone who covers restaurants is that how do you shine light on the good operators and not spotlight the bad operators. And, you know, as someone who has worked, you know, for a lot of restaurateurs and chefs, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a lot of restaurants that are 
run by really like famous Atlanta chefs and they treat their people like shit. Um, and as a journalist, it's hard, like, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, like, how do you know who is good in their off hours? You know, it's, there's a lot of shitty operators. There's a lot of shitty bosses. Right. Um, and I mean, from what I've read from your experiences, you've definitely worked for a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know what I'm really asking, but just, you know, just your thoughts, I guess, on that as someone who now has had success and there's younger kids starting out, what do you say to them? Right. I, I am thankful to have had the support of the, you know, Atlanta clientele and other chefs. And, you know, I have became friends with a lot of amazing people here and built my confidence. I think something I struggle with is actually being confident and being okay to push those boundaries. And it took me a while to actually realize, oh, I'm doing an okay job. And it it doesn't matter how many times people tell me that I have to slowly gain that confidence. And I think after, you know, getting a few recognitions through writers that I felt a little bit better. I felt a little bit safer to be like, Hey, okay. I know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not a, someone who doesn't like, I'm learning everything and I'm, I'm pushing myself and I worked hard. And to me, it kind of makes me feel better that when I did work for those people, like growing up and working at all those restaurants, um, that people that, try to talk down to you just don't it's it's people who are insecure with themselves and don't want to see you move forward and mm. it is a lot of chefs that there are a lot of chefs that um I worked for you know after culinary school that just really pushed it and wanted to wanted you to stay in your position so that they would be covered and they could move up um, I even did a few internships in culinary school where I felt like I was being, you know, talked down to or being told I couldn't be a chef because I didn't have what it, you know, what it takes. And I would just tell the young chefs that you really just have to focus on your work and don't worry about what anybody else thinks. I mean, to this day, I still have comments being told to me that, you know, oh, you, you only got James Beard because he's uh, to hit the minority list or, or, you know, Eater Young Guns, to, you know, just different comments that I've gotten through my career. And I have learned to just ignore them. And it, <laughs> it's the best skill, really. <laughs> it, it takes a while. I, I'm just not like that. I've never, um, if I see a chef doing a great job or being really nice at I feel like Atlanta just needs to support one another. And I've always been very admin about supporting other chefs. So whenever I get those comments, I feel like it's just people who are insecure. They're upset, but you know, awards don't mean anything. And, and all this stuff, it doesn't mean anything. If you can cook, you can cook. If you love what you do, you love what you do. Um, and I think people lose sight of that sometimes. So not everyone's going to get what you do and not everyone's going to agree with your point of view. Um, and that's okay. They don't have to. Right. Um, there are, there are chefs that, you know, like only doing local. There are other chefs that like playing with, you know, different ingredients. Um, everyone has a different opinion on what dessert should be. And that's fine. Um, I think it, as long as you like what you're doing and it tastes good, then 
it's not a competition. I've never, I've never tried to say I'm the best pastry chef. I'm, I'm trying to be the best. It's always just, I'm really just trying to make good desserts and be around good people. And I am lucky to be at this restaurant right now where I'm getting that support and I'm working for two people that are very nice and supportive of my style and what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I've heard great things about what Neil McCarthy and, and Stephen Satterfield who own Miller Union have done just through the pandemic for their staff. <laughs> so it was just right. telling me a story. I, I know they're definitely an example of an amazing operator and it's really exciting to see you working there. Um, as a woman, you know, in this industry, you know, they used to refer to pastry chefs as the ballerinas of the kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, do you feel pigeonholed as a female pastry chef ever? I do sometimes. I it's actually one of the reasons I did I didn't argue being put on the pastry station as a line cook and not being put uh, put on grill all the time or saute. And in my head, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm always being put on garmage because I, I'm a woman. I'm young. I'm smaller. I'm five foot. I can't reach everything. Um, and these guys are coming in who are a lot taller and stronger and, you know, they, they can do that station. And I kind of took it in my head as, okay, if I keep being put in the station, I'm just going to get really good at it. And I felt like that's something that kind of pushed me. It, pastry was never something I thought was very cool. We would, in school, we would always say the same thing about pastry chefs, that they have this, um, you know, stigma of being like, dancing around and like making croissants and, and it's actually a very unfair uh, judgment on these chefs. It's actually, in my opinion, working the line, working all those stations. I do think pastry is one of the hardest and um, underappreciated because they think they just come in early and they, you know, go home. But these people, if they, if you mess up one thing, you have to start your prep over. And as a line cook, you're cooking your sets and, if, if you mess it up, you can quickly fix it. But as a pastry chef, if you uh, mess up any of your prep, you have to start over and that just adds on like five hours. It's much more precise. Right. And I do hate that they, uh, that pastry chefs have that, you know, um, vis- or people have that vision of them, but it is something that I would challenge a lot of people to research and see all the technique. And I'm actually... Um, it was actually cool to see that during COVID that a lot of people were baking and making bread. And I think people were starting to see that a lot of these uh, techniques are difficult and they're challenging. They're things that I can't even really do and I'm still trying to learn. And I would just challenge chefs to actually appreciate their pastry chefs and not just put them to the side. And um, I think having a good pastry chef on your team and appreciating them is very important. I think it's something that goes overlooked and a lot of chefs just want to take over the pastry program, but uh, there's a lot of detail that needs to go into it. And I mean, over the past year or gosh, two years, I really am losing track of time. It's pandemic. I know I'm cliche saying that, but I think we're all in the same boat. Um, But how did the pandemic change your job and the way that you approach cooking and, and, even eating in restaurants or, I mean, has it 
I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of things that have happened, not only just with COVID safety, but then also work-life balance and mental health that I want to discuss. But let's just talk about your personal experience first. Uh, my, my personal experience, uh, it was a lot on me mentally. I, I'm also never home, so it was hard for me to actually be home and just mm. not be running around working. So for me, it was... It was kind of a, um, yeah, it was, I would just say it was really tough. <laughs> I've been a workaholic since high school. And I think all my friends- I can tell with two jobs. You're like, oh, I've always had two jobs. <laughs> yeah, I, my, my friends and family would say I've, I've always put work first. And I've always been, you know, thinking about work. And I don't know how to check out when I'm at family functions. I don't know how to like turn my brain off. And that was the first time I actually sat down and didn't do anything for a couple of weeks. And I am thankful that I actually had that opportunity to take a break because I realized how much I was actually taking on and realizing that, oh, it's, it's, we're just making food. We're just creating memories. It's not, we're, we're not doctors. We're not saving lives. And yet there is so much pressure to even lock in and, and do that type of work. And it's just a lot on the entire staff. And I, I got to see everything kind of unfold as far as COVID and the protests and everyone arguing their opinions and, you know, going back and forth. And I realized that I was in a position where I couldn't really be vocal on what mattered to me. And I didn't have as much control over something because it, it was two companies running that entire um, building. So in my head, I realized I don't want to go through my life working 80 hours anymore <laughs> or 60 hours. It's not okay because, you know, people are, getting sick, we're, we're at a crisis where we grew up thinking a uh, food service industry is um, everybody has to eat. So we have job security. But right there in that moment, we we all lost our jobs. And everyone was, you know, freaking out something we've never handled before. And I just realized that it doesn't matter about fine dining, it doesn't matter about, you know, making sure everything's perfect and creating these $300 experience that, that then and there, I was like, okay, well, what do we need to do to help everyone? Like we need to raise money. We need to give back. We need to do something because we can't just sit around. Um, so I did launch the cafe Claudia where I sold a bunch of stuff and I was delivering pastries to raise money for our staff. And I felt like I just had to move like, I couldn't just sit at home. Like we're all chefs and we have a lot of talent. We need to start figuring out ways to put our talent into giving back and to finding creative ways to help others when uh, we were just in crisis mode. So I think for me personally, it was a wake up call to not put a hundred percent into uh, one job, but learning to take a step back and, see my friends and see my family and realize that, you know, we live life and take a mental break because I've been going since school. That was something I never really feel silly now, but it's something I never really thought of when I was 
kind of meditating, ruminating on on just the crisis with the workforce and the service industry, not only in Atlanta, but the rest of the world, that a lot of these people that work in the restaurant industry have been going so, so hard. And it was like the first time they were kind of like grounded, like planes, right? So right. It, they didn't, it, it gave them the contrast, which maybe they didn't have. Maybe that's also why people aren't going back to work right. in restaurants. And, and you know what? I, I don't blame anybody that doesn't want to come back because it's hard work. Uh, yeah. And we were, we're an industry that keeps going. We don't have a week off for vacation. We don't get, we don't always get Memorial or Labor Day off. We're, we're the people that keep going when holidays are coming around. And at that job, we were open every day. It doesn't matter because it was a hotel. Oh, yeah. Just think about all these people who are, washing your dishes, um, making your food nonstop for 10 an hour that pre COVID that is what a lot of people were making. And these people don't stop and they're going home and they're taking an hour to go home, getting on Marta, you know, traveling back to their house. And they are, they got so underappreciated during COVID that nobody thought, I mean, people did, but I felt like we were the group of people that everyone was just, Oh, we need you to reopen. We need you to reopen. Like everyone is freaking out, but nobody actually wanted to help. Nobody actually wanted to give back as far as the government and large corporations. I feel like restaurant, like local independent restaurants were the ones that were forgotten. And those line cooks, servers, bartenders, that industry is a, in my opinion, some of the hardest people and the nicest people you will ever meet because they're coming in and they are giving a hundred percent. And Atlanta is special too, which, you know, since you grew up here, I mean, the, I don't know, it's like, it's like people who move here don't get it, but like the Atlanta restaurant industry is like a family. It's, It's interesting. It's not, I mean, I don't personally feel like it's as competitive as other industries. So that, it may, I mean, as other cities, so it just makes me even sadder that people don't appreciate these yeah. people that work because, I mean, it is exhausting work. I'm, I'm just wondering where we're going to go from here, though, because I just think people are tired. Um, I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that a lot of people feel like it's back to business as usual and things are worse than ever, you know, and then you guys are still in there trying to make a living and restaurants work on such a tight margin anyway, that closing even for those couple of months, I can't imagine the timelines that it has set back. Um, Yeah, of course. And you know what, there, there has been a lot of argument between um, Atlanta restaurants or, you know, people that I know that have worked in other restaurants and it's, getting upset that they're not closing or getting upset that they are closing. And I think I, I understand both sides where you have to think of it as a restaurant. If you close, you're losing so much like restaurants depend on that money coming in and it's already slow because of COVID, but then it's either you open or there's a possibility that you don't open ever again. And then there's the other side of, okay, the employees, we don't want to get anyone sick. And I, I do think that there w- wasn't a right approach to anything because it's something that we're all still learning. And it, it was something very new. I do think that um, employees should be put first. Um, it's just difficult when you're a local owned restaurant and 
you know, this is something that's you just open and you're trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. And there's a lot of opinions, a lot of people arguing. Um, But I would say that Atlanta restaurant community is one of the strongest. And one, it's something that, you know, we did all come together as much as we could with what, what we had. And so you started Cafe Claudia while you were at Tiny Lou's and, and uh, you, last I had read, it was going to keep going whenever you had the opportunity. Is it still? Yes. Um, yes. So I'm doing it once a month, roughly. I've done it twice a month, a few times. It's been, um, like I said, since leaving and starting here, I think COVID taught me to kind of relax a little bit and you know, love what I do and not get too burnt out to where if I do feel like I'm working too much that I'll just uh, take a break. But I have been um, getting to do Cafe Claudia once a month. The next one I'm doing with Chef Max um, from the Lawrence. So I'll announce that date soon. But I've only done a few. Uh, I was trying to get my uh, menu together at Miller Union and get comfortable here. So now that I am uh, I've been able to do that. I saw something. God, I feel like it was like two days ago. I saw something on Instagram that you were doing some, you were going to be somewhere. I don't know. It was Choloteca. No. I, I did do one raising money for Choloteca. Um, I think that was a month ago. I posted one yesterday that Chef Max, uh, he had a friend pass away and she was also a chef here in Atlanta. So it was actually a pop-up yesterday where a bunch of chefs just came together to support Max. And that must have been what it was. That yeah, help him raise money. And all the proceeds went to cover uh, her memorial services. And, and, and with Cafe Claudia, it, it's a little more cash, right? I mean, yeah, than what you do. Yeah, it's more casual. It's more baked goods, cinnamon rolls, donuts, biscuits. Um, I'm I'm learning that if I don't have a kitchen to actually do all those things, it gets difficult. So I might switch and start doing like uh, desserts that are a little bit more casual, but plated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like doing a pop-up with a chef and then you get three desserts, but it's like donuts or cake but it's more casual plated and not so uh uh, upscale like i try to do sometimes i mean is that something do you think you'll eventually you know morph into having that as your full-time business i mean because eventually you know you're still quite young but i mean eventually do you think you'll go out on your own i well originally i wanted cafe claudia to be something that i i did on my own eventually but as I'm working, I'm still learning and learning about bakeries. And I have some friends opening bakeries and learning about everything that goes into it. And slowly, I'm realizing that that's probably not what I want to do. I'm Mm -hmm. still playing around with all these ideas and what I could do. But right now, I, I do love plating desserts. I love talking to guests. I, I love um, being part of a small team here. And uh, still practicing my technique and trying to get better. So I do like that I'm still taking something on like this. And I think down the road, I've already been vocal about this, but I do want to do like a dessert focus bar, which if I can't open that, then it'll probably just be a pop-up thing. And, and you worked with Aaron Russell and he had 
Yeah, you had chocolate bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I that. That, that was fun. Well, um, so so you know, today you're working at Miller Union. Um, and it's another chef and another point of view. What kind of desserts are you creating there? Like what's your creative process like there? At Miller Union? You're like, what kind of pastry chef are you today? I would say that I have switched and I try to fit whatever chef I'm working for. Um, so Tiny Lou's is very, he did it very French, but, you know, creative and play with Southern ingredients. I think with Steven, I've learned a lot about local and supporting farmers and, and food waste, which is another thing that my grandmother and dad were really forward about food waste. And it was something that in my head, I didn't really think it mattered. Um, but now working here, I've, I've learned a lot about working with local farmers and using those fruits and vegetables and local dairy, everything he buys here it, it's he's thinking about it carefully it's not just the order being put in it's something that they're talking about all day and I really appreciate um, the work that they put into supporting these farmers and using high quality ingredients and I think the type of pastry chef I am now here would be highlighting those fruits and vegetables and ingredients and just um making it more homey but still my style so i'm doing more homey southern style desserts but the technique and the plating is still i would say more more like me and i've um i still have the freedom of using like passion fruit or mango things that aren't local but something that i care about well i mean i think that if it's purposeful yeah right then it's okay. I mean, it's hard to to be hyper local as a chef. Period. If you have any international influences, because there's just ingredients we don't have here in the south. But um, so it, so, what would be like an example of a dish that you have on the menu right now that you really love? I actually made one yesterday that's on the menu today that I really love because it's pushing me to think more into. I guess the style that Miller Union is, that's not really my style as far as like homey and sweet and light um, and highlighting those fruits. And I did a apple spice cake with, um, I did some compressed apples on top with thyme simple syrup and lemon juice and then cream cheese frosting and um, dolce, the Valrona dolce chocolate cremeau and pecan ice cream and I feel like that dessert is very like homey and fall and southern but you know I just have I just have to throw dolce in there I have to it's throw a little it's elegant though yes um and I though plating is very it's very me but to I feel like somebody else would like just make an apple cake with the layered of cream cheese frosting and slice it out and serve the ice cream but it's still very me but I appreciate how the cake came out that when I tried it I was like okay I'm getting better at the things that I'm, I'm getting better at like simple stuff like cakes mm -hmm. whereas I would say I learned as a pastry chef very technical things first and now I'm going back and trying to learn like the basics because I didn't go to school for pastry and I didn't learn under somebody who was just pastry trained Hmm. So you're still evolving. I mean, oh, yeah. every chef is really, but, but yeah. Like you're, yeah. 
I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm not, I mean, I said it earlier, I don't think I'm the best. I think I have a, a lot to learn still. And I'm thankful that here I get feedback and Steven teaches me a lot. And um, we're able to have a conversation about food, which is always fun. And I'm still trying to get my techniques down as much as I can. Well, it's super fun as a watcher to be watching your evolution because, you know, I mean, it's, it's really neat to see you go into all these different places. And like you say, continue to pick up all of these skills and techniques and then watching you through these different restaurants and your pastry evolve has been really interesting. And um, I'm loving this Miller Union incarnation because <laughs> homie light and elegant is right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I will. I will. I've been like so nervous about eating in restaurants, honestly. Right. I've only eaten inside too, but I know they have an amazing patio, I heard. So, yeah. yeah. So is there anything, anyone, any organization you would like to plug, anything you have coming up that you want listeners to know about where they can follow you? Um, you can, my Instagram handles are, uh, Claude Victoria for my personal one. And then cafe, uh, what is it? Cafe Claudia ATL for my, uh, pop-up. I am doing a pop-up with chef Max and, um, the chef previously from uh wonder kid who's opening his own he's who's doing his pop-up full-time now so yeah i actually reached out to him about being on the podcast yeah yes great so we're all gonna do one together i just can't remember the date but i will announce that's what i saw because it was like humble yeah yes oh you posted it i guess yeah he posted it that's what that's where i saw your name it wasn't Yeah, it was like yesterday or something. So I was like, oh, that's strange that they're connected. And I have them both like on the, the podcast schedule. Oh, I have to but, check it. So otherwise people can follow you um, or find you and your pastry at Miller Union. And if there's any upcoming pop-ups, you post it on cafeclaudia.atl on Instagram. Yes. Okay, great. Well, it was really nice to talk to you. I nice love your pastry. You. Thank you. And I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, thank you, Claudia. Thank you. All right, have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to Claudia for being here, and thank you for listening. That's also the end of season one. If you can believe it, we have reached the end of the season. It has been an amazing experience for me. Um, These conversations have taught me a lot, and I hope you've enjoyed them as much as I've enjoyed having them. Uh, We'll be back for season two in January. Check out my social for more information on that. Until then, I'm Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds.